Living a well-balanced lifestyle goes beyond ensuring your finances are in order. Welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara speaks with wellness industry leaders and related professionals to share more than financial planning advice. She addresses your questions about living a healthy lifestyle at any age. Learn how to gracefully maneuver life's challenges with support and resources to guide you along the way. Barbara and the team at Hightower help you make a plan, make an investment, and make a difference in your own wealth and well-being, and in your families, and within your community. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with your host, Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara, how are you? I am terrific, Eric. How are you today? Oh, fantastic. I'm, I'm just so pleased to be back with you. Well, I'm glad to have you here today because we have a very interesting discussion. And that's going to be with a very interesting gentleman that I'll introduce in a moment or two. But All I have right. a question for you. Have you or do you have any friends that may have gone through what you and I might consider a midlife crisis? <laughs> okay, so if you ask, you're asking me, and I'll say, I've never gone through a midlife crisis. If you ask my wife, <laughs> oh, okay, there, there was a point about five years ago, so I was probably 43, 40, yeah, right in that 43 era. I grew my hair out, thought, oh. I've never done it, why not give it a shot? And I have curly hair, and it did not go well. It went, I got long, which was fine for a while, and then I had a business trip to, to New Orleans. And the humidity down there <laughs> ah. it was so it was my so hearing ridiculous yeah also your wife may not have liked it quite as well she liked it state. when it was okay you know when it was fine <laughs> and then i could keep product in it which i didn't like doing anyway because it just didn't feel right but boy when we hit new orleans she's like that's gotta go and i agreed i cut my hair the right when we got back from a business trip but uh yeah so she considers that my midlife crisis but uh, so that's not a, a corvette, safe one right okay. exactly it's not a corvette well, I bought my husband a Corvette in his 40s oh, so he could take you out his young by you. <laughs> well, his young blonde, my daughter. Oh. You know? um, so for those that can't see me, I am a brunette. So I just said, if you want a young blonde, dear, here you go. Here's your Corvette and your young blonde. Now get over it. So there you go. But oh, you know, fun. we all have friends that have gone through some periods of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes I like to call them the growing years, because sometimes people will say, well, I outgrew him or I outgrew her. Mm. And sometimes you hear, oh, I'm just suffering from the empty nest syndrome. So there are all sorts of reasons that we have these periods of uncertainty. So Eric, our guest today is Chip Conley. And he will share some advice on how to have better midlife transitions. And I'll introduce Chip to you and catch you later. All right. This sounds fantastic. Thanks. See you, Eric. Chip, I'm delighted to introduce you as my guest today. Chip is a best-selling author, a speaker, advisor to one of his alma mater's groundbreaking programs, the Stanford Center for Longevity. And as you will learn, Chip Conley is on a mission. After disrupting the hospitality industry, not once, but twice, first as the founder of Joy de Vivre Hospitality, the second largest operator of boutique hotels in the world, and then as Airbnb's head of global hospitality and strategy, which revolutionized worldwide travel, Chip co-founded Modern Elder Academy in January of 2018. So quite a transition there for Chip. 
So inspired by his experience of intergenerational mentoring as a modern elder at Airbnb, where his guidance was instrumental to the company's extraordinary transformation from fast-growing startup to the world's most valuable hospitality brand, Modern Elder Academy is the first ever midlife wisdom school. It is dedicated to reframing the concept of aging and supports the navigation of midlife with a renewed sense of purpose and possibility. Chip's upcoming book, Learning to Love Midlife, 12 Reasons Why Life Gets Better with Age, is about rebranding midlife to help people understand a life stage that is misunderstood, and it will be released in January of 2024. So welcome, Chip. Thanks for joining me. Barbara, it is an honor. And I loved listening to the preamble there about hair. It seems like hair had, <laughs> it, Eric had a, like a, a midlife hair crisis. And, he did. And you, and you had a midlife, you were, you were worried your husband had a midlife blonde crisis. Well, yeah, and, you never know. And I just have a midlife <laughs> crisis that I don't have any hair. So Oh, stop. <laughs> well, Chip, I... No, you call yourself a modern elder when you were at B&B, and now you use that term modern elder. So can you help define what that means to you? Sure. So when I joined Airbnb, I was 52 years old. I'd never worked in a tech company before. I had been a boutique hotelier for 24 years. And within the first month, I was like, oh, wow. They wanted me to come in and be the mentor to the three founders who were 21 to 23 years younger than me. But what was very clear to me pretty quickly was I was, yes, I was supposed to be the wise one, but I needed to be the curious one as well because I had never worked in a tech company before. Mm. And, and it was a little, we were a little startup. This was 10 and a half years ago. And so a modern elder is someone, according to the founders of Airbnb, they started calling me the modern elder. And they said, Chip, a modern elder is someone who's as curious as they are wise. And I liked that. And I, I then I coined the term mentor someone who's a mentor and an intern at the same time. Oh, so, I like that. Yeah. So I think a modern elder is somebody who is not just the wise one dispensing wisdom, but they're also the lifelong learner, the person who is constantly learning something new based upon their curiosity. And that's what I did for seven and a half years at Airbnb, taking the company up to its very, very successful IPO. So it's not a traditional elder because a traditional elder sort of like is just the, they're the often in a tribe or in a culture, they're the ones who just have all the wisdom. But I think a, a modern elder is somebody who is actually seeking the wisdom as much as they're, as they're sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. So I have to ask you when you were at Airbnb, were your bosses younger than you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, my boss. So here's this funny story. So Brian Chesky is the, the co-founder and CEO of sure. Airbnb. He still is. And I'm very proud of him. He's like my son, 21 years younger than me. So Brian asked me to join. And Brian said, I want you to be my in-house mentor. But what Brian didn't really tell me until we got a little bit further along in our conversations was I was also going to re report to him as the head of global hospitality and strategy. So here I am, 52 years old, having been a CEO of my own company for 24 years. And now I'm reporting to someone 21 years younger than me. Now, I loved it because I learned as much from Brian as he learned from me. It was like a mutual mentorship. We had what we called an EQ for DQ relationship. I offered him some emotional intelligence in leadership. He offered me some digital intelligence. And, oh, lovely. And it was great. But I think that you know the, the, by the year 2025, the majority of Americans will have a younger boss. 
So what I went through last decade was not that unusual for the for what we're going to see in the future. More and more people reporting to people younger than them. So do you oftentimes find other people when they're reporting to a younger boss having issues with their egos? I mean, oh, you went course. from a CEO to reporting to a young man, a younger man. So yeah. tell me a little about that. Uh, it's a great question, Barbara. I did have to right-size my ego. And, and I also had to sort of rethink what defines success. So when you have your own company, started it when I was 26, ran it till age 50, my definition of success was how, how successful is the company, how effective am I as a CEO? And I really looked at myself as the hero and Chip as the, you know, the classic rugged individualist hero. But now I'm actually in a company where it's growing much faster than anything I was used to because boutique hotels are bricks and mortar companies, but a tech company can grow globally overnight and be a disruptor even more so. So my definition of success was not so much how successful am I in the company, it was how effective am I making the three founders? And if I can make them better leaders, how does it help the company become a more successful company? And so in some ways, I had to move from being the sage on the stage to being the, <laughs> the guide on the side. And that did force me to get comfortable with the idea that very few of the articles around Airbnb were going to mention me, as it turns out, a lot of them did. And, you know, I had a TED talk around it and, and there were some great articles written about my relationship with Brian. But the bottom line was, I, I really did have to get used to the idea that my role there, I, I there's a great quote from Eric Erickson, I am what survives me. And mm. that's really, that, that's how I thought of myself at Airbnb. And to get to Air, so such that Airbnb got to the point when it did its IPO in December of 2020, that it was the most valuable hospitality company in the world. I, I, I took it very seriously that the company had gotten to that place and that Brian had gotten to be the leader of leading that kind of company. And two and a half years later, he is still the CEO of Airbnb, even though his only leadership, or he had no leadership experience. His only educational experience was having gone to the Rhode Island School of Design and been a designer. Oh so, my. and it was not just me though. I mean, I, there were so many different influences on Brian, but but I was the one who day to day was in the company for seven and a half years, four years full-time, three and a half years part-time to help Brian become a better leader. Well, it sounds like you gave him some very sage advice. I did. I mean, it, 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 I but mean he's also, still CEO. It, I, mean, I did. You know. Yeah. He, but he was, he, he was a great, listen, he had, I would never have done this if I didn't feel like he had great potential. And, and it's sort of the, you remember the movie, the, the intern, Barbara? Uh, oh, Robert, I do. Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. That was classic. It was sort of the opposite of that in the sense that Robert De Niro was 70, Anne Hathaway was 34. He was brought in to be the senior intern, but he became Anne Hathaway's mentor. Mm -hmm. I was brought in to be Brian's mentor. And at times I was the intern. And when I say, <laughs> and when I say that, it wasn't like I'm, I'm not diminishing my role, but I am saying that there were times when I was the most curious person in the room and because I didn't have experience in the tech world. So um, isn't that fun when you're still learning new things? Well, it's so much fun. <clears throat> When you're surrounded by people who are half your age and everybody's trying to be the smartest person in the room, being the most <clears throat> the most curious person in the room or the wisest person in the room felt good because I was able to, I wasn't competing with anybody. 
And that's actually, I think, one of the reasons I, I ended up having over 100 mentees in my time at Airbnb, because a lot of people came to me and said, listen, I just like how you show up. I would love for you to be my mentee, my mentor. And so, but I, I in those relationships, I often learned as much from them as they did from me. Oh, that's so rewarding. But you've also spoken, I'm, I'm listening to you as you transition from being a CEO to really a mentor for many people. And during that period, as you were making some changes, I want to bring you back to what you've written and spoken about, and that's the happiness curve, because you're mm -hmm. working with younger people. And since I've read a lot of your materials, I, I know kind of that happiness curve. And yeah. I would like for you to share that with our audience, please. Yeah, a lot of people don't know about this. And, and I wish I'd known about it back when I was in my late 40s, because I went through a a pretty difficult time. It was in the latter stages of my time being CEO of MEA uh, or of being CEO of Joie de Vivre. It was during the Great Recession and basically everything in my life was falling apart. And I didn't know about this. And I wish I'd known about it because it would have helped me through that time. There's social science researchers, researchers across the world have actually studied culturally at what age do people feel the greatest sense of life satisfaction? And when do they feel the worst sense of life satisfaction? And there's a, a real consistency across cultures that shows that starting around age 22 or 23, our life satisfaction starts to decline slowly until around 45 to 50 when it bottoms out. Now your mileage may vary. <laughs> it does, not, every, not everybody has the same, the same thing, but these are the averages. So around 40 to 5 to 50, we, it bottoms out. And then with each decade after age 50, our happiness or life satisfaction grows. So we're happier in our 50s than our 40s, happier in 60s than uh, 50s, happier in our 70s and 60s, and women happier in their 80s than their 70s. So this is called the U-curve of happiness because it looks like a U-curve. It looks like a smile, actually. And what it shows is the low point <clears throat> is 47.2. That's the average. And so for me, in my early 50s, I went from being this stressed out CEO of a company that I no longer wanted to run, the, the boutique hotel company, and but I felt stuck there. And I was able to get to the other side of that, sell that company. It's now uh, Joie de Vivre is a Hyatt brand named JDV, and move on to this next identity. And the next identity was doing my work at Airbnb. But I also, so many things in my life changed. I realized that many of the expectations I had of myself, I was sort of starting to edit those. I was feeling a little bit more lighthearted. I could feel my wisdom. And these are the kinds of things that actually do start to, to come to us in midlife. So midlife doesn't have to be just a crisis. It could also be a chrysalis. Meaning, ah, I like that, a chrysalis. Yes. If you think about the, the caterpillar to butterfly journey, midlife for the butterfly is the chrysalis. It's a time when it can be dark and solitary and gooey, um, <laughs> but it's also when the transformation happens. And what does that mean? It just means when, that you start to realize maybe there's a bunch of things in your life you're ready to edit, some identities, some mindsets, some ways of seeing yourself, some roles you have. And you're going to move into the second half of your adult life uh, considering instead, how do I want to live this life? And one of the questions I like to ask at MEA, at, at our Modern Elder Academy, is the following one. Which, what is it that you know now? And this is you can ask this question at any age. What is it that you know now that you wish you'd known or done 10 years ago? 
Okay, that's the first question. Mm -hmm. What is it that you know or have done now that you wish you'd done or known 10 years ago? And then once you've sort of got that in your brain, imagine 10 years from now, what will you regret 10 years from now, Barbara, if you don't go learn it and do it now? I love that question because it what it does is it sort of puts front and center the possibility of anticipated regret. I will regret it, <clears throat> this in the future if I don't do it or learn it now. And that's a really great way. Anticipated regret is a anticipated form of wisdom. Anticipated regret. Now that yeah. that's a new new yeah. terminology for me. Hmm. Anticipated regret means you sort of imagine, gosh, if I don't do this or, or learn this now, I'll regret it later. So for example, at age 57, I'm 62 now. At 57, I learned how to surf because I, I was living in Baja in, in Mexico where our first MEA campus is. And I lived near a big surf break. And I was like, okay, at 67, it'll be harder to learn to surf than at 57. Similarly, I learned French when I was in high school, hence Joie de Vivre, the name of my company. Sure, sure. I didn't learn Spanish, but I'm living in Mexico now. So at age 57, I started learning Spanish. Now, in both cases, I could I could have said like, oh my God, I'm too old to surf. I'm too old to learn a new language. But once I sort of put it in the framework of saying, if I don't do it now, I'll regret it 10 years from now, it gave me some incentive to go out and, and do it. And often for us in midlife, it's taking the the boundaries off, taking the fixed mindset of like, oh, I don't do those kinds of things. And being open to having the growth mindset of saying, yeah, maybe I should try it, even if I'm not going to be very good at it. And so that's really how I've been living my life. And that's that's sort of a, a the credo of what MBA or the Modern Knowledge Academy is about. That's so lovely. So if I think about um, some of these transitions, and I'm thinking about the smile curve. So in their forties is kind of the low point. What I'm also thinking about is oftentimes these are parents that have children going through adolescence. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So how about these parents that are in the middle of this? Mm -hmm. You've used a term that I've heard called middle essence. Yeah. And, and how would you describe that to our guests? Yeah. Let, listening let me... today. Let me answer this in two ways. Number one is, yes, what are the reasons that maybe the mid-40s are a low point in, in life satisfaction? It could be you are sandwich generation. You've got kids at home, mm -hmm. and you're also starting to take care of Caring for older parents. parents. Mm -hmm. It could be menopause for women when that starts. It could be having some expectations of yourself, and around mid-40s or later 40s, you start realizing, oh, I'm not going to be president of the United States. And... So it's, it's a time where people often have a lot, they're navigating a lot of transitions at once. Middle essence is a word that's been coined by sociologists and gerontologists, but it's not well known in the pop, in pop culture. Middle essence is the, is the adult corollary to adolescence. So when you're going through adolescence and puberty, you're going through emotional, hormonal, physical, and then identity transitions, often between age 12, 13, and 16, 17. It's a, it's a time where a lot's going on. And we sort of now assume that, you know, when kids are going through that, teenagers are, we sort of say, okay, they're just going through adolescence. But we don't have a similar framework to think about middle essence when people are often going through emotional, hormonal, mm -hmm. physical, and identity transitions, often in their late 40s, early 50s, maybe, maybe even later. And there are all these transitions take their toll. Because, you know, and especially if you sort of have the mindset, oh, I am a 50-year-old, 
I'm supposed to have my life together. I'm not supposed to be going through any difficult times. And sometimes midlife crisis is the is the is the result of people feeling like they're getting the game of life wrong. Everybody else must be doing fine, but I have all of these worries and stresses, and I feel like I'm I'm stupid because things aren't working out the way they are for everybody else. And these are adults that probably aren't on social media as much as their children are, mm-hmm. but sometimes they're doing those same comparisons, aren't they? Oh my gosh. Well, some of these adults, <laughs> listen, these adults are probably on Facebook more than their kids are. Now they may not be on Instagram and TikTok and a few others, but there is a comparison going on. And, and you know, it's been long ago said that comparison is the recipe for suffering but sometimes the that sometimes the comparison, Barbara, is the comparison with your own expectations of what your life's supposed to be like. <clears throat> Brene Brown is a good friend, and she has said that um, midlife is the time for the great unraveling. And when I first heard her say that, I was like, Brene, who wants to unravel? That sounds terrible. <laughs> unraveling sounds like someone's losing their mind. And she said, Chip, have you ever looked at the word ravel? I said, no. And she says, to ravel means something so tightly wound that it, it's impossible to unwind it. So it's sort of like how your shoulders sometimes feel, but think about a ball of string that's just like completely you know, impossible to unwind. Well, to unravel something in midlife is to unravel your expectations, to mm-hmm. unravel the obligations, to unravel the sense of commitments you've made and to realize that it's time to maybe do some editing of that. And so, yeah, there is something to be said for learning how to unravel all that you've accumulated. So the first half of our adult life is really about accumulating. And the second half of our adult life is really about editing. And um, we <laughs> and do then something... later on, we have to <clears throat> decumulate, right? Because the kids don't want anything. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely downsizing. And there's like, there's lots of things. Yeah, I mean, at some point, America is full of storage centers, you know, many storage places. I know that no one ever visits once they I, put the stuff I in. Mean, it is sort of a weird like sociological phenomena of the U.S. You do not see this in other cultures nearly as much. Um, and it's partly because we just have a lot of stuff. And some of it may be nostalgic, but some of it's just stuff that nobody's, no one's ever going to use again. And you're paying 150 bucks a month to store that stuff. <laughs> and it's like, okay, really? So so I think learning how to get rid of our stuff, but but mostly the psychological stuff, because some of it's like these things that we have been carrying with us a long time. Barbara, uh, sociologists now consider midlife as lasting from 35 to 75. So it's a mm-hmm. marathon. So if you're if you're going to be running a marathon, you don't need extra baggage. So one of the things we need to do in midlife is start to get rid of some of the emotional baggage that has been weighing us down. Well, Chip, I used to tell my husband if I had to dust it or insure it, I didn't want it. And now <laughs> I think after hearing this, if there's a subscription or a monthly payment on it, I don't want yeah. that either. Yeah. So good for you. no good storage, for you. not more stuff that I'm never going to look at. Yeah. Simplification. So at, Simplific- so that we have time to do more fun things. Well, this is wealthy. Let's let's talk about this for a minute. This is like sort of what uh what's the high tower point of view is, which is like the idea of being rich is how much money you have, being wealthy is how much time you have and yes. how much how much freedom you have. And I think time and freedom, uh, wealthy, to be wealthy is someone is to find time in your life, to find freedom in your life. And sometimes that means learning how to say no and edit some of what's been there in your life. And so at MEA, the Modern Elder Academy, that is really what we help people with. We help people to understand 
you have the ability to write your own success script that may be different than the success script you were handed when you were a kid. So Chip, you have done so many wonderful things, both charitably from your entrepreneurial activities. I mean, in our office, we use a line that says, make a plan, make an investment, make a difference. Mm. And so knowing what you've done, what inspired you to create the Modern Elder Academy Mm. for intergenerational learning and growth? So what Mm. was it that gave you that fire? You know, I'm Barbara, I... I met so many people at MEA at uh, Airbnb when I was there who were a little younger than me, but they were in midlife and they were hiding their age. <laughs> they were in a tech company and didn't want other people to know how old they were. And I was also seeing how beautiful the intergenerational collaboration could be in a company. We have five generations in the workplace for the first time. So how do we create a, a, a more collaborative workplace where people are learning from each other both older and younger. <clears throat> so those are some of them reasons. Additionally, I had had a really tough time in my late 40s, as I mentioned earlier. And I lost five male friends to suicide uh, during oh, the Great Recession. I'm so sorry. Averaged their age <sighs> 42 to 52. So there was a part of me that felt like, gosh, we have not gotten midlife right. We don't really understand mm. it, <clears throat> nor do we actually create the sort of a school and uh, tools to help people understand it. So that's what led to me having the idea about it. I was writing a book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, based upon my experience at Airbnb. And while I was writing that book at my beach home in Mexico, in Baja, I had a Baja aha. I was going for a run on the <laughs> beach, and I had an epiphany. And the epiphany was, why do we not have midlife wisdom schools, a place where people can cultivate and harvest their wisdom and reimagine and repurpose it in their lives? And that's how it came about. And we now have 3,500 alumni. Oh, my goodness. 42 countries who've come to our campus for our week-long programs. So it's truly global. It's truly global. And we have 26 regional chapters around the world. And we have online programs now as well, as well as we are opening a second campus, our first campus being a beachfront beautiful campus in Baja. But the second campus will open next March in Santa Fe, New Mexico, a 2,600-acre regenerative horse ranch. Oh, how um, exciting. Yeah. So we're, we're, we definitely are, we're helping to, to rebrand the idea of what midlife can be. Well, so what are some of the key challenges your students who come to MEA when, the, when they're coming, what do they face in transitioning? And, and I, let's focus on a smaller population, those that are transitioning from their primary careers to becoming modern elders. Yeah. One of the things we don't do very well as a society is we don't help anybody sort of make sense of what they've learned over time, So, which is the form of wisdom. So I, I define wisdom as metabolized experience. In other, way, in other words, your life lessons. Metabolized experience, which leads to distilled compassion. You know, so you can share that experience with others in a way that's going to be compassionate and help them. And so there are a lot of people who get to age 45 or 50 and they feel like they're over the hill or they feel like there is, they have been hand, they're supposed to be handed some special role in society and, and instead what they feel is ageism and they get a little, they feel a little irrelevant or they feel maybe dumb because all those tech tools that younger people in their company understand are sort of like not exactly things that they understand. So I like to call this 
same seed, different soil. Same seed, different soil means you have built a seed of wisdom in your life. You can plant it in new soil. So for me, I had built some wisdom in the boutique hotel business. I could then plant it at Airbnb, which was not a boutique hotel company. It was a tech company that was happened to be in the hospitality business, but it was a tech company. So what you have to start with is to ask the question, what have you learned? What is, if you were to sit down with someone 20 years younger than you, and you had a week to prepare for this, and you knew that, the, that they're going to ask you, tell me five pieces of wisdom or advice mm. you, you have for me um, that you wish you'd heard at my age. What would you tell them? And that's the kind of question we need to be asking ourselves. Excuse the interruption. I know you're listening to Hightower's Keeping the Well and Wealthy podcast. But if you have questions related to these or other wellness and financial issues, please reach out to your advisor or go to hightoweradvisors.com to find a financial advisor near you. Now, back to Barbara. There's a practice that we do at MEA, but also I've been doing myself since age 28, which is, uh, it's called the Wisdom Book. And every weekend you could come home uh, at the end, you know, after having a week of work and make a list of bullet points of what you learned that week. What were the key lessons you had that week in, in, in your workplace? And how will those lessons serve you moving forward? That's a way to understand your wisdom to understand how do you make your life lessons into something that's valuable for the future? Because often our painful life lessons are the raw material for our future wisdom. And we can share that wisdom with others. So have so, you gone back and looked at any of oh those? Oh my God, I love you? that question, Barbara. <laughs> when I was going through a really hard time during the Great Recession with my boutique hotel company, I went back to some of my old wisdom books from the dot-com bus 9-11 period. Mm. And it was really tough helpful. time. It was a tough time, especially I was in San Francisco Bay Area hotelier. And frankly, the dot-com bust, it was terrible for us, much worse than anywhere else in the country. And so I went back to some of those old books and now they're Google Docs for me, but I, but I went back and looked at the old wisdom and it was really helpful for me to say, oh, that's right. I learned that because sometimes you may have learned it, but you don't, you didn't remember it. And so the key is figuring out how to remember it and then take it moving forward, which is why I suggest trying to, to put it in a wisdom book in the first place. But yes, that, so that is one thing I think that, I, that we help with. Another thing we help with is the, the, the idea that you don't have to be the stodgy old person who's telling the younger, younger people, here's how the world works. Because there, there was a meme a couple of years ago of OK Boomer. And the idea was, OK Boomer, I've heard you talk about how the world works. I don't need to hear anymore. And, and so the best thing you can do, and, and I write about this in my book, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, is if you really want to become a modern elder, there's really four key steps to it. Number one is to evolve, to really edit what isn't working for you anymore. Number two is to just go and focus on being a learner. You know, it's interesting to be 50 years old or 52 or 54 and say, I'm, I'm here to learn. But if you're 54 years old and you're going to live till age 90, you have as many years of adulthood ahead of you as you have behind you. 50, 18 to 54 is 36 years and 54 to 90 is 36 years. So why not learn something new? That's the second stage. The right. third stage is how do you collaborate? Um, you have, as you get older, you have more emotional intelligence and you're, you can be better at collaborating with others. And then fourth, the last thing you do is to learn how to counsel. 
you learn how to counsel others in a way that's, you know, like being a mentor. But that's what you do fourth. If you start with that, some young people will just say like, oh God, that person thinks they know, know it all. And, but no, you have to do the other three stages first. You know, you're, you're taking me back in time. My very first job out of college, I supervised an industrial chemistry lab. Mm. And so when I walked in, there was an older gentleman there. I told him that the process he was using and everything he was doing was inaccurate and the results were inaccurate. And he said to me very firmly, we've been doing it like this for 30 years and we're going to keep doing it like this for 30 years. And I said, mm, not under my watch. So yeah. it is one of those. Wow. I love it. I love it. Get so that he, could, thought. he could have learned his best, his best response would have been to say, tell me more. I want exactly. to understand. I want to understand what you're talking about because I'm, I'm used to doing it this way, but tell me more. And then he might've learned, Oh gosh, you're right. So I'm going to yeah. ask you, are your digital skills better now? That you spent like, time at Airbnb? Oh, for sure. Like I, I've got. I'm holding up my phone right now. There's like, <laughs> I knew about two percent of what my phone could do for me back before I joined Airbnb. Maybe twenty percent now, but I'd never used a Google Doc. I'd never, there was lots of stuff I didn't really quite understand. So my digital skills are better. But I actually think my what's even better is not so much just how do I use digital products, but it's more like how do I understand UX and UI, user experience, and how does a website how does a website set itself up in such a way that it is a guide for your users and your customers and that's very important for any company so, so I, you're you're expressing again your curiosity so mm -hmm. so let's go to we hear about eq and we all grew up learning mm -hmm. about iq and so eq was the emotional quotient and now i understand that there's a curiosity quotient mm. and yeah, curiosity would be a CQ. And there's also a TQ, which CQ? is a tra transitional intelligence. Oh, I haven't um, heard that one. That's a good one. Well, let me let me talk about Peter Drucker for a minute, about curiosity yeah. quotient. So Peter Drucker, probably the most famous management theorist ever. He passed away in his mid-90s. He wrote two-thirds of his 40 books after age 65. He, he had an exercise. He had a practice. He was sharing his wisdom. He was sharing his wisdom. He was, but he was also exploring his curiosity. Every two years, Peter Drucker would study a topic that had nothing to do with being a management business school or business school professor or author. They ha it had to do with what he was curious about. And he would go and become one of the world's leading experts on that topic. There was no career benefit in this, but he saw curiosity as the elixir of life. By actually being curious, it made him youthful in his desire to learn more and to uh, explore. And so I think the people I most admire who are in their 80s, 90s, or after age 100 are people who are exceptionally curious and open to new experiences. And social science research shows that two of the most uh, common variables of older people who are happy and healthy are those who are curious and open to new experiences. Oh, how lovely. So, yep. I'm still curious. I guess I'm going to keep aging yeah. well, I hope. Yeah. So with the MEA, your Modern Elder Academy, they offer, I did go to the website and look, various mm. programs and experiences. So can you describe for us some of the most impactful or transformative moments that your students or participants have had during mm. their time at your academy? Oh, sure. I mean, there, <clears throat> there are people, gosh, I'll, I'll talk one 
one to start with. In the early days of MEA, uh, we had a 45-year-old, six-foot-six investment banker from New York, and he he was Jewish, and he was retired, and he had a ton of money and not a lot of purpose. And then there was a 62-year-old, four-foot-eleven African-American social worker and evangelical Christian from Atlanta, and she had a lot of purpose, but not a lot of money. The two of them would go for walks on the beach every day. We didn't set it up. It was just because he had what she wanted. He had money. And she had what he wanted. She had purpose. Purpose. And they learned from each other because I, I really deeply believe that wisdom is not taught, it's shared. So how do you create the, the container for people to have life-changing conversations that give them a greater sense of purpose and wellness and community? And I have a, another great story of a, someone who was a litigator, and she just knew that being a litigator at age 50 was wearing her down. She she was tired of arguing, and she wanted to be a pastry chef. And and so we helped her to see, especially, she, there was so much, so much momentum. She had her own firm. She was a partner in her firm, and she felt like she couldn't leave. And so, you know, we I told her my story about being 47 years old and having a flatline experience where I died. And mm. I can't, I came back to life and was like, well, what would that be like if, if you, saying that to her, if you had a flatline experience at age 50, how would you want your life to be different? And she said, I would be a pastry chef. I would stop being a lawyer. I would, I would figure out, I'd love to create a little bakery. Guess what? That's what she did. And we helped oh her gosh. to, helped her to have the skills and the confidence to go out and do that. So I, I think part of what we but help people wait do. Wait a minute. Yeah. Bringing back that near-death experience. Yes. That really gave you some clarity, didn't it? And it happened in St. Louis. Oh, you, Is that true? Yes. I'm from St. Louis. so Bar Barbara, Barbara knows my story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was on stage giving a speech. Mm -hmm. And after the speech, I was signing books, some of my books. And I slumped in my chair. I, I had an allergic reaction to an antibiotic. And I was unconscious for a few minutes and the paramedic showed up and they put me on a gurney. And that was the first time they had to get the paddles out because my heart stopped multiple times over Gosh. the course of the next 90 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to know how to change your life. Most of us don't want that kind of clarity no, that come quickly. Face, come face to face <laughs> with death and you're like, okay. But that was my story. And that was, I don't want people to have to have that experience. But it was a hotel, your wake up call. Um, it, it taught me that I didn't want to be running hotels anymore. So I'm in a very privileged position to have had that experience in my life and to live, to talk about it. And then to be able to talk to a lawyer and tell her, you don't have to have that experience. Sure. Just you, sharing it. Let's have this conversation. And this conversation can be that experience. And so, yeah, so we, I think more than anything, we really help people to feel a greater sense of purpose, greater sense of wellness and a greater sense of community. And and often those are the three things that after age 50, people start to feel less of. And so how do we invest in those three things? Well, as a leader, and I'm listening to how you're expanding your academy, I, I'm curious though, how do you foster a culture that values and leverages that wisdom of older individuals while embracing mm -hmm. innovation and fresh perspectives? Because you must have different ages of people mm -hmm. that run your, your yeah. programs and now you're going to have more than one location. You have people globally. So cultures are different, right? right. When they yeah. come. So uh, what do you do mm -hmm. to, I mean, we have culture committees 
<laughs> work. Yeah. So yeah. what is it that you do personally? Well, the number one thing, so culture is very important, but curiosity, it comes back to curiosity. Okay. What can we learn from each other? If The most important question to ask about somebody who is just triggering you is what am I supposed to learn from this person? Now that may sound like idiotic because often the person triggering you is like, oh, I can't learn anything from them. They're just an idiot. But but sometimes if someone's triggering you, it's be, partly because there are qualities about them that remind you either of someone, someone from your past or yourself on a bad day. And so your triggering is an opportunity to learn from that person to say, ah, I'm seeing a mirror of myself on a bad day here. Hmm. Or, or um, I'm being triggered because that person actually is telling me something like that, that, that chemist that you're talking about 30 years older than you was triggered by you because he was pretty much telling you, Hey, the world has changed. And he, he didn't want to, he didn't want to believe that. So there is so much curiosity creates respect. And if we're open to being curious about other people and being willing to learn, respect is what starts to show up. And respect is the way we have intergenerational collaboration. Well, okay. Respect. You, you have to earn respect, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have to earn that. So, as we look at how society perceives and, and uses the potential of older adults in the workforce, do you see any specific trends or shifts <laughs> in the future? Yeah. Well, I would say that we have we have ageism on both sides. We have ageism toward older people who are being told, hey, go go retire at age 55 or age 60 when they're not ready for it. I mean Well, and you often hear women saying that they feel invisible. They feel invisible. Right? Yeah, men feel irrelevant. Women feel women. invisible. Those are the those are the two words that define uh, the. And genders. I don't want to be either one. So no. I'm, I'm all ears. <laughs> post fifty, post age fifty. Those are the two words we hear the most. And so ageism happens to older people. And I think the key is to find out: Are you in a company or in an organization that prizes wisdom? You know, and how do you show up with your wisdom? So uh, you know, and how do you create? an environment where the organization looks at this. I mean, I have a whole chapter in Wisdom at Work about the 10 things that companies can do to create better intergenerational collaboration and tap into that wisdom of older people. But there's also ageism in in, in many traditional companies at the younger levels. It's like, oh gosh, it's just the old people who have all the power here. And 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 that doesn't work either. So well, that's fair. That's a, fair comment. Age, ageism goes in both directions. It goes it's more and more. It's toward older people. Let's be clear. If this was forty years ago, I could say that ageism was primarily against younger people in companies. Today, I would say it's the opposite. But it doesn't mean that all companies have that issue. The more traditional the company, the more the ageism with younger people. But the more forward thinking, the more digital oriented the company. My God, if you're 35 or older, you're perceived as over the hill. And that is just not true. Well, I think it's exciting when I meet these younger people working with us. And I do think some of them are, they're, they're making kids smarter, younger these mm. days. I mean, it's it's really stunning. Yeah. So what advice would you give to someone who's hesitant about embracing the roles of modern elder or fears of becoming, as we said, irrelevant in this changing world? Because it's going so fast. You know, I was talking with a, one of the most famous executive recruiters in the world and she, after my book came out, Wisdom at Work. And she said, Chip, you're going to get lots of older people who are going to say, how do I go find a job or how do I feel relevant? 
And people are going to judge me based upon my wrinkles or my gray hair or whatever, my resume showing how old I am. And well, Chip, just so you know, I'm going to be a brunette till I'm 104. Just letting okay, you know that there now. You okay? There you go. There you go. She told me the following. She says, Chip, tell them to if you can show up with curiosity and a passionate engagement in what you do, what people will notice is your energy, not your wrinkles. And I think that's true. It is very much about showing that you're still in the game and you're still curious, you're still passionate, you're still open to new experiences, and you've got the energy. And if you show up with that, then you come across as a little bit ageless. And so if that's hard to do, then let's look at the rest of your life. I mean, often a person who finds that hard to do is like, oh, well, how much are you exercising? How much are you reading new books about topics that you don't know? How much are you open to listening to younger people and exploring from them? And when they say no to all those things, it's like, well, okay, these are the these are the habits you need to put in place in order to be curious, passionately engaged, and energetic. Because if you are going to just show up as someone who's sort of is as someone once said to me, Deadwood, nobody wants to that Deadwood's not bad for kindling, but it's it's <laughs> Uh, and it might you might start the fire, but you know at that point it's sort of gone. And so what you really need to do is show up as a as a healthy log. <laughs> a healthy log, I like that. So I I do think about the people that must come to your academy. Aren't they basically curious to begin with? I mean, yeah. they're probably already we are, interested. Yeah, we we curious. do we do have a tendency to attract people mm -hmm. who are curious. Or they're also maybe at a stage where they're at a crossroads and they're like, you know what? I need help with this. They might be curious about how they can get the help. If someone's really, really stuck and they're like in a deep place, stuck place, they probably aren't going to come and do a week-long program with us. But we do get those people too. We get people who are really stuck. And often those are the, the success stories that I enjoy the most because they they had the greatest they're, they're, they're the most improved. <laughs> there you the go. Yeah, I'm sure you've had yeah. a tremendous yeah. impact oh on gosh. that. Yeah. So what I've learned today is that midlife can be a time to transition and have more happiness. So our 50s, 60s, 70s, and for women, 80s, yes. we're going to party, baby. I'm telling you, as I <laughs> age, curiosity and lifelong learning are so important and sharing our wisdom. But I liked your four pieces of guidance about evolving, being a learner, learning how to collaborate and learning how to counsel. So mm. there are, there's a lot we can take away from this. So I have a final question for you today. Yes. How do you keep your well in wealthy? I love to meditate, even if it's just five minutes in the morning. Um, it just helps center me. I do love to exercise. I am I am so focused on my 10,000 steps a day on average. I probably average about 11 or 12,000 steps a day. And I, I am constantly trying to learn something new. Wonderful. Well, thank you for your time today, Chip. Thank you, Barbara. You've shared so many just great ideas. And it's an exciting adventure and opportunities to embrace midlife transitions. So I wish you and the global community of Modern Elder Academy, all the best. And I'm going to invite Eric back. Eric. Oh, this has been fantastic. Love so, this. Eric, do you have questions for Chip or want to share your recent midlife transition journey? <laughs> Ooh. Yes. So, and, and this is something that just really struck a chord with me, Chip, was the 
the quote that you said, I am what survives me. Mm. And I think that if people had that mentality of their wisdom, their energy, and, and their being that, that focusing on leaving that behind instead of that storage unit full of stuff, mm. right? <laughs> because that's yeah. going to survive them too, most likely for quite, quite some time. But if they could focus on that and know the value, the true value that they bring to the table, I think we'd all be a lot, you know, happier as far as my transition. Yeah. And that, that kind of speaks to my transition. My wife and I, uh, we spoke about this a little bit earlier, but my wife and I worked at a place called Boys Town in Nebraska mm -hmm. for almost 12 years and raised 68 young men uh, that had mm. been in either lockup or needed to come there for some help. And then we took a, as my wife says, we took about a 10 year vacation. Now we're back. Um, mm. They've just, just like every other company out there, they've had trouble getting family teachers. It's difficult work, but we love it. And mm. I, I, I haven't felt this fulfilled in quite some time. I mean, I've been a coach and a consultant and I've done a lot of mentoring and things, but this is really getting down to the nitty gritty. And I want to leave something more of myself than just a storage full of stuff. Mm. You so know? Chip, here's so. a guy that has purpose, right? <laughs> Well, he has purpose, and he has he's he's living the ROI. So, in, in the in the business world, we talk about ROI as return on investment. But in our, Eric's case, it's ripples of impact. Mm. He's having he's having a ripple of impact out there. Yeah, yes, well, is. so are you, sir, because I've been to your. I, I just visited your website as you guys were talking, and I can see the impact you're having is generational and upon generation because mm. you, you quoted the the sandwich generation. I, I quoted years ago, the club sandwich generation because I have grandkids, <laughs> kids, and parents. Uh, so there's more layers there. I think I'm the bacon in the middle. I'm not quite sure, but um, you, I, I can you see the impact. Bacon. Of course, I, I, yeah, so Everyone I might loves not bacon, see the right? because I do love bacon, but I'm going to have fun while I'm going. But, uh, but Chip, I see the impact you're having and I thank you because, you. And, and someday I hope to join you on that beach well, because we it's beautiful. That. We love that. So Thank Chip, you. I know we can reach out through the modernelderacademy.com. Is that mm -hmm. the best place to kind of reach out and learn more? Yeah, you can learn more there. I also have a daily blog called Wisdom Well, Wisdom Well. Wow. And so if, if any of this is interesting mm -hmm. to you, just know that I have a daily blog and it, if you sign up for it, it's free. We just send you an email each morning. It's a little micro dose of wisdom that you can use to you know, to have an influence on your day. And and so that's another way to get, and, and, and I, I, we post these on LinkedIn. So if you go to my LinkedIn, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll see the, the post there as well. Right. We'll add that to the notes so that our audience can find you. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to both of you. Chip and Barbara, great, thank you so much. You. I appreciate all the time. And of course, our last thank you goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Keeping the Well and Wealthy with Barbara Archer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way when Barbara comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review. As this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to go out in the world and make a difference. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Wealth Advisors. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. 
Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Wealth Advisors is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.